This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I spoke to Josh Horwitz from Quartz on the recent acquisition of Uber China by Didi Chusing and its implications to the anti-Uber alliance in Asia. We examined the reasons why Uber and Didi came to a truce and their potential next steps to conquer the rest of Asia. Hi, Josh. Hey, Bernard. What's up? How are you doing? doing I'm well. good. Great. Yeah. I'm currently in Mountain View and you have been in Asia. What are the most interesting news that you have been covering recently? Well, uh, there was some news recently that Uber merged with Didi, and so I've been covering that throughout the week. Right. So you mean Uber China is now being purchased by Didi? That's correct. So Uber China has been acquired, or there was a merger. Which party you ask, there's certain vocabulary that's preferred by different parties. But in any case, Uber's China business is going to be folded into Didi Chuxing's business in China. Yes, and I'm talking to Josh Horwitz from Quartz. He has been a regular contributor on this topic. This is pretty big news. So I want to first ask, what are the actual terms of this deal between Uber and Didi over their acquisition of Uber China? Sure, so it's a little complicated, but basically the gist is that Didi and Uber China will merge their operations into one another and Uber will receive 17.7% equity stake in Didi. I believe its uh, preferred shares are, are slightly lower, but the overall equity stake is about is about 17%. And then in exchange, Didi is going to be investing $1 billion into Uber Global. Oh, so there's a $1 billion investment into Uber Global. So that means Didi will actually own Uber Global as well. They'll own a percentage. It's not clear what that what that stake is, but they, they, are, they are investing $1 billion into them. Mm. So is that like a perfect merger of almost the whole Uber and anti-Uber alliance made out of Didi, Ola, and Grab. Well, it's it's really bizarre. I think that many, as this the money burning kept going, I think that many suspected there would be some sort of merger or truce at some point. It's not really clear if, if this is a truce, if the, if the two companies will keep fighting in Southeast Asia, if they'll keep fighting in India, if they'll keep fighting in the United States. It's not clear if this is kind of a massive monopoly. It's not clear if this is kind of a global duopoly. We don't really know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. So in your opinion, what do you think that have actually happened? It's difficult to say for sure. And I think a lot of people are speculating. A lot of people are using a lot of catchphrases saying like, oh, Uber can compete because of the Chinese government, right? That's definitely an exaggeration. I think that really the simplest way to maybe frame this, the safest way as well, is that Uber simply got there two years too late and was spending too much money. You know, we have to remember that before Didi Trucing even formed, there were two companies, taxi hailing apps, Didi Dacha and Kwadi Dacha. One of those companies had most of China's northern part, northern cities, the other had most of China's southern cities. One had backing from Alibaba, the other had backing from Tencent, and they were burning cash. They were burning money in order to win these taxi hailing app wars. Then they merged in uh, the earlier part of last year. A couple months before that merger, Uber came in and Uber introduced this peer-to-peer model wherein ordinary people can drive their own cars and 
pick up passengers for cash, and that model was more or less not that prominent in China. Arguably, Ida Yongcho was kind of using it, but they were more sort of a high end. I think that you know, no one knows what actually happened. Some people have—it's probably just Uber got there two years too late. They were burning too much money, spending about a billion dollars a year, reportedly about two billion dollars to date. And since even though Didi was relatively late to that peer-to-peer ride-hailing model. They still had a two-year leg up in terms of visibility, in terms of being active in, in Chinese cities. Also, we can't forget that there was this media frenzy about Didi and Kwaidi's cash-burning wars, especially in the tech and the business press in China, before Uber was even mentioned. I'd say that for about a year, I mean, Uber was in China for about a year before the Chinese tech press even started paying attention to them. The simplest way to maybe look at this situation is that Uber just got there too late. There are other factors as well. I think that you know Uber clearly must have performed somewhat well if it was able to get to roughly thirty percent market share of the overall ride-hailing market. Somewhere between twenty and thirty percent is probably where it was, judging on various figures thrown around by various companies and research firms. They must have done something right, and I think that the only way to assume that they got that far is by saying, well, they had an excellent product and excellent user experience. Their their technology and their algorithms were perhaps perhaps a little better than Didi. Certain drivers and certain passengers said that Uber, they, they found the either the passengers more appealing or the drivers were a little more polite. I think uh, there was also a different dispatch system between how rider uh, drivers receive rides and there's a slightly different system between the way that riders can hail rides on uber versus dd so i think that some of those differences helped uber differentiate itself and and maintain uh, and get to the market share that it was at but ultimately that market share was not big enough to make investors happy so i think that the companies that did invest in uber probably felt a little fatigue and they said listen this this can't go on and we need to put an end to this so i just wanted to check one more thing with you is that when Didi buys Uber China. Will the Uber China app stays intact or it will be merged with Didi? That's not clear now. Uh, that's something that me and a lot of other reporters have asked Didi and Uber, and, and there's no further details on that yet. We can only speculate. It seems somewhat reasonable to assume that you know Uber's technology will perhaps be shared with Didi. It seems quite likely that their dispatch uh, technology is much better. We can't be certain. We, we don't know what this merger will mean for the actual consumer-facing apps, for the distribution of payments drivers or how drivers interact with these companies, we don't know right now. I want to zoom in into the reasons why Uber sell Uber China to Didi. And I'm going to go through it with a few different reasons. And I think maybe I can pick your mind on it. I think the first reason is probably they are both leading and there is investor intervention because they share common investors between Tiger, BlackRock and Hill House. And also, after raising so much money, I mean, there's a drying up of money and investors. What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely possible. Definitely, definitely possible. I think it's probably one of the most plausible theories. I think that it's really unusual to see overlap of uh, investors in any industry, and especially ride-hailing. If you look at that map that CB Insights just published in the U.S., there's almost zero overlap between Uber's investors and Lyft's investors. And let's keep in mind that Silicon Valley or Planet Silicon Valley, Planet U.S. is kind of where the standards are set for practices in venture capital. With Uber in China and Didi in China, we saw it, we did see some overlap in investors. So that's probably a sign that some investors saw the, the opportunity for a merge. They thought, well, Uber probably has some strengths and some, and, and Didi probably has some strengths. They probably didn't see the companies 
giving up anytime soon, so they probably felt like they could benefit by investing in both and then counting on a merger. And that's exactly what happened. There is another theory is that Uber decided that China is just impossible. So they wanted to go after the other markets which are more open for example, Southeast Asia and India. Do you buy that? I think that Uber has made it clear that it's a company that does not like to give up. It's probably why they went into China, despite the fact that plenty of grizzled China hands were saying this is going to be a waste of your time. I think that they went into China attempting to conquer. And I think you know Uber has also never, ever, ever merged with any other company, ride-hailing company in the past. They've had every opportunity to merge with Lyft. They've had every opportunity to, to merge with major and minor players. And they've never, ever done it. And Travis Kalanick has even gone on the record saying that the company has always felt it's been its best strategic interest to grow its market share on its own rather than build market share by, by merging. So this is definitely an exception. Did they find it impossible? I don't know if they found it impossible, but you know, certainly burning $2 billion a year, that's no small sum of money. And so, and again, they, they got pretty far. They got to about 20 30%. Uber was not a non-player in China. There were definitely some cities where it seemed like that they weren't as big as other cities, but they were not a non-entity. And if they, otherwise, if they were a non-entity, why would Didi bother to buy them? One other possibility is also that Uber is having a lot of problems with regulation and local conditions in China. Is that possible as well? That's one that a lot of people have suggested. It's a theory that I don't really believe in. Uh, I think that if you look at what has actually happened to Uber, as far as we can tell, we don't know what happened behind the scenes or in any number of smoke-filled rooms, but if we look at what we know, the Chinese government has actually been, or especially the central Chinese government, has actually been pretty accommodating towards Uber. They've been very, very hands-off, despite the fact that there's been local raids of, of, from police officers. That stuff has all happened to Didi as well, and that stuff is not unique to China. Uber will get raided by any number of local municipal governments at, at, in any country. So, and meanwhile, you know, the central government, other than one statement from the Ministry of Transportation, the central government never really said, never really took any concrete action to give a definitive statement that says peer-to-peer ride handling is going to be illegal. Local municipalities, despite far back as you know, four or five years ago, before Uber was even in China, they had taken efforts to kind of crack down on it. Those were never successful. So, ride-hailing, whether it's just for taxis or whether it's peer-to-peer, has always existed in this safe, comfortable, you know, maybe not ideal, but this is China. Uh, it's always existed in this kind of safe gray area. And I think that the Chinese government has more or less let it remain in that area. Some people have written that they think that these regulations that were passed last week that, in essence, quote-unquote, legalized ride-hailing. I don't really like to use the word legalize, legalize when talking about China, but it, it is a government blessing towards ride-hailing. Some people have said that this is going to spell the end for the glory days of ride hailing in China, that uh, subsidized rides are going to be are going to be over, and that's very, very bad for Uber. Also, there's going to be pressure to mer- merge with municipal taxi companies, and that's going to be bad as well. I actually don't buy any of that. I, I think that we should view these regulations as a top-down blessing from the Chinese government. I think that other than censorship of content, the Chinese government has actually been, in many instances, they've struggled to enforce certain regulations on Chinese companies, internet companies. And I don't really see how they're going to enforce, say, subsidy, enforce, say, fixed prices on these private internet companies. I suppose it's possible that maybe, you know, maybe due to municipal government pressures that Hailing a ride in Chengdu is going to be exorbitantly more expensive than hailing a ride in Shanghai, or maybe somehow I don't see a lot of the pressures, the red flags that some people are pointing out from these regulations actually happening in real life, and that's often the case with Chinese law or Chinese regulations, where the central government will say we want this, and 
you know, as for whether that actually happens, it happens kind of intermittently, it happens spottily, but it never really happens across the board. Take real name registration, for example. The Chinese government's been saying we want internet real name registration on social networks and you know, websites and WeChat. They've been saying that for a long time, but enforcement has been very, very patchy to date. I don't see why this would be any different for ride hailing. I think that these companies will continue to have the upper hand. I see the regulation as a blessing rather than a, a lassoing in. So that's interesting. One point that you really alluded to is that the Chinese government is not monolithic over these regulations. In fact, there's a lot of local municipalities that actually deal with trying to enforce these regulations. But I still have one more possibility that why this deal actually happened is that Uber may be conserving cash to focus on the next phase in their development, which is self-driving cars and navigation. Because a few days before that, they actually put up a press release about putting $500 million into doing navigation. Yep. And they are already a partner to Google Maps. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I, th I think it's all definitely possible. Look, there's so much possibility and there's also so much that's up in the air with regard to Uber's future. What's going to happen to the business once self-driving cars evolve in terms of technology and popularization? I think it's a big question mark. And where is Uber going to fit into that? I think that's a big question mark. And Uber needs to prepare for that just as much as they need to claw away for market share these days. And so I think that if they don't feel confident in being able to to take over China with the same force that they're able to take over, say, the United States or parts of Europe, and then they need to think strategically. If they can't win all of China, well, maybe they could use that money to win most of Southeast Asia. Maybe they could win that, use that money to win most, most of India. It seems likely that actually most of the money is probably going to go to the United States, which is likely to be the most lucrative market for Uber. And also it's where their competitive competition outside of China is probably the most formidable and is the most serious in the form of Lyft. Yeah, you know, I think it's all about conserving money to move on to other technology and other markets. With Uber's China's exit, reminiscent of Google and eBay and even Apple's market share in China is starting to soften. Does it actually prove further that Western companies actually have no chance against China? But let me put it in another way. A lot of Western companies go into China with this whole dreams about one billion, but they are always being kicked out by the local clones of the same types of internet companies. Maybe these companies should not think about China as the first entry point into Asia. They should be China last. Because eventually they will they get beaten up anyway. Right. Well, I think we should look at this uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. First of all, when we're talking about internet companies failing in China, we're mostly talking about large internet companies and markets that are mostly winner-take-all. Something like massive e-commerce or search something like social networks, and also Uber. But, you know, let's just step back and kind of look at this at a case-by-case -case basis. Social networks should write off China, like Facebook and Twitter. These guys should just forget about ever, ever entering China, right? They deal in the, sh in the sharing of information. If, you know, the one thing the Chinese government has been most successful in terms, of, in terms of tech and internet has been making, has been controlling information. There's no way that Facebook or Twitter or any social network that is actually of any real influence is going to is going to survive in China without some form of censorship or, or without some form of being blocked. WhatsApp is the big exception and that's that's sort of the, the ultimate mystery as to why the Chinese government hasn't cracked down on WhatsApp. But regardless, you know, social networks simply don't stand a chance because they deal in trading information based on or they deal in the sharing of information. If you look at this on a sort of case by case basis, well, you know, eBay failed because they were too dependent on their US team to make certain decisions. And for a long time they refused to let vendors list items for free. And China at that time, and to a large extent now, still is a very price-sensitive market, and 
when vendors or anyone has to spend money, they're always going to look for where they can get the best deal. And eBay wasn't offering that and Alibaba and Taobao works. That's one reason why eBay failed. It was just a fundamental failure to understand the market. Google, you could sort of argue the same thing. I mean, a lot of white collar professionals and educated Chinese, they preferred Google's search to Baidu's, but Baidu had several advantages in terms of product and also in terms of execution that Google didn't have. Baidu was arguably popularized because A, they offered free downloads of copyrighted music, uh, pirated music uh, in China, and Google was unwilling to do that. Also, Baidu was very aggressive in forming partnerships with internet cafes. That's something that Google didn't really do. And in China at the time, that was how a lot of people were getting their first contact with the internet was internet cafes. And then also there was ambivalence at the upper levels of Google towards how to deal with this notion of censorship. And I think that caused some tensions between Google and the Chinese government. There are also some personality conflicts between Kaku Lee and then also and then the people at Google in California. And those, those all kind of contributed to Google's ultimate walkout. So that's kind of its own separate case. It's not clear. We're only going to find out much later what really went down at Uber once someone sits down to write the Uber book and once Uber and Travis Kalanick are more comfortable talking about it. But you know, to a large extent, it's kind of a case-by-case basis. Why do you get your ass kicked? Well, to a certain extent, you know, Chinese companies are just, you know, they understand the market better. But to another extent, you know, I think in the case of Uber, actually, I think it's quite reasonable to say, you know what, Uber understood the market perfectly fine, right? Wherever taxes are scarce, there's going to be a need for peer-to-peer ride-hailing. Taxes were scarce in China, so Uber was providing a valuable service by entering China and providing peer-to-peer ride-hailing. What didn't work out was they were two years too late, and GD was already everywhere. They had a brand visibility that Uber couldn't compete with. Now, that said, I also don't think that if Uber ever got to number one in China, the Chinese government would have found some way to handicap them. And the reason why is because Something as fundamental as ground transportation is not something that the Chinese government is going to let go to a foreign company. You have to realize that Uber in many ways is competing with municipal taxis. Those are not only state-owned enterprises or city-owned enterprises or state-affiliated organizations, but it's also, in not just in China, almost everywhere. That's considered a semi-public good. I don't think that China would be willing to cede that to a foreign company. So there would have been some way... You know, perhaps in these regulations, they might have said, listen, we're not going to allow any foreign company or any sort of JV with foreign money enter this space. And the Chinese government has done that before. In fact, they just did it in the mobile games industry. They said that you can't be a games publisher if you are a, a foreign company. You have to partner with a local Chinese games publisher. So the Chinese government has done this before. They could have very well easily done something similar with ride hailing, but they didn't. You know, that just supports my theory that I don't think the Chinese government was hostile towards Uber. If anything, I think they were very, they were pretty accommodating. That comes to another point I want to make, because I find always when U.S. companies try to justify this whole 1 billion Chinese market, they always lie to themselves when that the local Chinese companies doing similar stuff is actually kicking their ass. And why wouldn't they just have done what Google did many years with Baidu? I think Google actually invested 5% into Baidu. So why waste your time starting in China while you just invest in the local guy? Like what the Yeah, you can't fault Uber for not making that decision because it just wasn't in Uber's nature. Uber was Uber has and up until now or Uber was and has up until now been dogmatic about earning its market share independently without the help of mergers. It's just who they are, right? It's the same way that Apple is, you know, Apple was dogmatic about not letting telcos interfere with what software wanted, went into the iPhone. 
it just wasn't who the company was. So I don't think it's fair to say, oh, Uber was so dumb, you should have just invested in Didi. That wasn't, what, that wasn't who Uber was. Uh, that wasn't who Travis Kalanick was. I think it's an unrealistic expectation. Frankly, that strategy has served them remarkably well in almost every country except for China. I think you're right in the sense that it is, you know, I think Uber has, has done better than its American predecessors, Google and eBay, namely, and that it got 20% of its competitor. That's not bad. That's, that's great. That's excellent. I suppose that the lesson to learn from for the next big giant internet company that's born in Silicon Valley and has aspirations to enter China is to maybe approach that early on, right? You maybe want to pick the right winner. You want to pick the right horse early on. And you want to get that stick early on. Uh, and then you want to make sure that that right horse you know, evolves better than its competitor. Maybe that would have been the ultimate outcome. I don't think it's fair. Or the best outcome for Uber. I don't think it's fair to blame Uber for not making that decision. I think we now know that for the next big internet company, it probably makes sense to approach China with sort of uh, a bit of distance, right? Rather than diving into the China pool, you want to kind of look at the China pool from the sidelines, support the team that you think is going to perform best, help them, give them support, and then hopefully profit from their success. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that involves licensing certain technology, maybe that involves licensing some branding. But in any case, you know, Uber did okay, but you know, the next company, the next Silicon Valley large internet company that tries to enter China finds themselves kind of treading water, they might, their competition might just leave them to dry and say, you know, screw you, I'm not going to acquire you, I'm just going to let you continue to bleed cash. Well, I mean, Silicon Valley now, I actually noticed there's a lot of heavy Chinese influence actually within the valley in terms of investor money, but that is a conversation for another time. So in the deal with Didi, Uber frees itself to expand into the other markets. What happened to the anti-Uber alliance given that Uber now owns Didi in a way and it's all a family except fiefdoms across the regions then? I don't think anyone knows. It's so confusing and it's, it's so bizarre. I mean, imagine Google owned 20% of Baidu. Well, would Baidu be caught up with? What would that mean for both companies? And what would that mean for AI globally? What would that mean for self-driving cars globally? I, I don't think anyone's re anyone really knows the implications of this partnership. And uh, what's confusing about the anti-Uber alliance is because you know, Didi and Uber used to be enemies, but now Didi has invested in Uber. I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen to this anti-Uber alliance. I think that Uber is probably going to keep fighting, but it's possible that Didi is using this investment as, as a means to kind of get Uber to tone down its war in Southeast Asia and then in, in, in India and let it have the United States. Uh, Southeast Asia and India are harder markets to make money from. They're, they're probably going to be less lucrative in the United States. So that could be part of it as well. But it's really, you know, what we thought was the anti-Uber alliance is now, it's now not clear if that's an alliance at all. I think that the real question now is when we look at ride hailing, is it going to be, are we going to see one single entity that, you know, has many different companies, but they all have their arms in one another. It's not so much a competition, but sort of a friendly equilibrium. And I don't think that we've really seen that in the internet industry before, especially for something like ride hailing, which again is, has in the past, it's been a semi-public good. It's, it's, it's been more or less a public utility. Now it might be owned by this patchwork of private companies that despite the fact that they're not the same company, they all have vested interests in one another. That We've never seen that. Now I want to come to the impact to Grab and Ola. So I'll start with Grab first then. Immediately after the event, the Grab CEO issued a call to arms on Uber in Southeast Asia saying that, well, if Didi can kick Uber's ass in China, we can do the same. In your opinion, what are the reasons behind that? Or is it just a savvy PR move? I have no comment, but you would have better thoughts on this than I would. 
<laughs> and of course, then we get leaks of a potential one billion round for Grab from SoftBank and Didi. So yeah. does that mean Uber will lose again? Or maybe Uber shouldn't have spent the money on, on getting Uber China merged with Didi and should have used it and buy Grab then? Well, you know, Southeast Asia is, is a different place than China. Grab is a different company from Uber. It's a different company from Didi. And there have been uh, leaked documents that show that Grab's financials are not sound at at the very least in Singapore. There's also been rumors that this applies to its business throughout Southeast Asia. And it's not going to be the first time that we've seen a cash-burning business in Southeast Asia fail to get off the ground. If you look at what happened to Lazada, right, this is a business that was burning money, and despite the fact that they put in e-commerce infrastructure and they more or less introduced or popularized e-commerce in Southeast Asia, the numbers were adding up. And who was there to bail them out? The Chinese guys, Alibaba. So I think it's quite likely that we'll see the same, something similar play out in Southeast Asia. There's an overlap of investors. The Sovereign Wealth Fund of China has also invested in Grab. They have not invested in Ola. You know, I think an acquisition from Didi into, into Grab is quite likely. But again, it, it's, it's probably going to take a very, very long time for that market to become lucrative for anyone. And I think that's partly because it's just a less developed and less wealthy part of the world than China. But also, in more importantly, Bernard, taxis are abundant in most of those countries. And when taxis are abundant, there's certainly less of a need for a taxi hailing app. And there's also arguably less of a need for an app like Uber. If the supply is already rich in vehicles that are hailable on demand, then these apps lose a lot of their value. That's my opinion. Other people don't, don't necessarily agree. But I think that in countries like Thailand and countries like Singapore, where it's very, very easy to hail a vehicle, a lot of these companies just lose their relevance. So what are Grab's chances against Uber then? I think that it depends on the strength of Grab car. I think that Grab taxi is by and large not a, a very not going to be a very lucrative service for the company. Let's be 100% clear. So there's a very big difference between taxi hailing and car hailing, private car hailing when it comes to the business model and especially for Grab. So Grab makes about $1 or $2 for every taxi hail whereas on Grab car and also with Uber which is only cars and it doesn't do it doesn't do taxis at all, they can charge a percent commission. So it's much easier to make a larger sum of money per ride on a private car hail versus a taxi hail. So the only good that Grab Taxi's year or two year advantage has had on Uber has just been for marketing and visibility. Now that certainly served Didi well, but in Southeast Asia, I'm not so sure. And there's also been some complaints that Grab's technology is inferior to Uber's. That's been my experience as a person when, whenever I've been in Southeast Asia. It will come down to a certain extent pricing, but also to an certain extent who can have the better product in Southeast Asia. There's another thing about India and Southeast Asia. They are very open markets and they are pretty friendly to US tech companies. And US tech companies seems to do very well in these two continents. I wanted to ask the question also about Ola in India. What do you think Ola's chances against Uber would be? I don't know. I'm, I'm not as familiar with India as I am Southeast Asia. All I can say is, is I think we should stress that these are different markets with different conditions. Ola, for example, despite the fact that they became popular based on taxi hailing, what you and I think of as taxis is a little different from what people in India think of as taxis. And a large part of the platform, both for Uber and in, in Ola is taxis, but they're still able to, but both companies are still able to charge a percent commission on hails because the taxi industry is so, 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 so fragmented, fragmented that a lot of taxis 
run without meters. So I'm not familiar enough with India to give it to you know give a crystal ball prediction. All I can say is that I I don't know. That's all. Yeah. So I think the whole on-demand hailing apps is going to go through a very major structural change after this deal. I guess my penultimate question to you is. Where do you see this thing go in at least the next one two years? I really have no idea, Bernard. <laughs> Because it keeps no changing, idea. right? <laughs> Because it keeps changing, and it, it's it's really really hard to tell. And then also you have to factor in self-driving cars. You know, it, it seems unlikely that those will happen in, in, in the next two years, but you never know. Speaking informally now, right? If I had to guess what would happen, I would guess that Uber is probably going to drive Ola out of the market. Didi is going to buy Grab for pennies, but Uber is still going to stick around, and they'll be fine. And then Uber is going to is going to defeat Lyft in the U.S., and that's where the majority of their money is going to go because that's you know it's it's these it's a handful of cities in the United States where Uber has the potential to make the most money. That's probably what I think is going to happen. You don't see a super consolidation of all these guys into one entity. Well, you know, it's it's possible. You know, that's. I don't think it'll be one. It's not going to be a big, massive company called Uber DD Incorporated. I don't think that's going to happen. I think what's going to happen is we're going to have a patchwork of companies whose vested interests in one another are intertwined, and that's something that I don't think we've seen in the internet. And that's also certainly something that we've never really seen for ride-hailing, which is has in the past been a semi-public good. It's going to complicate relationships with governments. It's going to complicate. Relationships with investors, especially if these companies go public, I think we're going to see a sort of patchwork monopoly. Where the reason we're going to see a patchwork monopoly is that most meaningful internet businesses tend to be winner take all. This is certainly a meaningful winner, but internet business is going to be winner take all. But the winner is going to be kind of a, a hybrid, some sort of weird, bizarre centaur where the head is the head is Uber, but maybe the tail is Didi. I, I don't know what that's going to mean in terms of governments, in terms of profit sharing, in terms of how consumers are affected. I don't know, but I think that that's likely the direction. So I guess we will just have to continue to watch this. And、uh, Josh, I really appreciate that you come on to talking to me in such short notice. And I know I want you to tell me where do my audience find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at @horowitzjosh, or you can find me via email that's josh at qz.com or jhorowitz111 at gmail.com, or you can call me or WhatsApp me at. Eight five two nine four seven eight seven six five four. Wow, that's very detailed. You can find me at bleongcwrbernalong dot com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia A N A L Y S E Asia. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and also Google Play in the U.S. market. And of course, if you subscribe to us on Overcast or on iTunes, please give us a five star rating. And of and of course, drop me a feedback anytime soon. I'm currently in Silicon Valley, so it will be slower to come up with episodes. But Josh, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Bernard. Always a pleasure.